You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 325, we're discussing Star Wars Celebration, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Top Gun Maverick. I'm on your host, Tim. And I'm Carlos. Welcome back to the pod, man. We've got an exciting one. It's it's mostly Star Wars this week because we just went through Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, man. Like, how can you not talk about Star Wars? Just news alone and uh, with our... Nice, uh, lean and mean podcast and style that uh, soak up all the time as it is. But, uh, you know, uh, Codename Moonwalker is uh, clocking in to the pattern <laughs> and uh, going to drop a little Top Gun mini review for, for folks out there today as well. Hell yeah, we are. So we've got the Top Gun right at the start of the podcast here. And of course, we're going to run through everything from Celebration, from Andor, Soka, Mando Season 3, some of the reveals in the animation and video game world. And we're also going to talk about our first impressions of Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes one and two, just before we get into the third episode of this season of this first Disney Plus show, first of many that are coming through 2022 and into 2023. Star Wars Lucasfilm did some work this weekend with Star Wars, and I'm excited to talk about it. So let's get over to this week in Nerd. All right, everyone, it's This Week in Nerd, where we talk about the latest and the greatest from the world of nerd. And we're going to kick this one off with a Top Gun mini-review. Now, I have not seen Top Gun, so I am very excited to hear about this $160 million opening for this franchise. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say, because I believe you have quite the fan in your house of one Tom Cruise in this role. Yeah, man. Well, as you know, we had a crazy busy weekend, but we had to carve out some time like weird Monday afternoon was the literally the only couple hours that we had to <laughs> slot it in. And I would have been just as happy to spend time with my PlayStation 5. But uh, no, uh, Maverick uh, took precedence. And yeah, you mentioned that $160 million opening. I, I immediately thought back to our box office pool, which kind of took a bit of a kicking with the pandemic and everything else, but I had Top Gun Maverick and I took it as a joke pick for my very last pick way back when it was supposed to come out in like 2020 or 2021 or whatever it was. But um, looks like it would have been a prudent choice and we were all wrong about it because we were sitting wondering, you know, is there an audience for this thing and who's going to go see it? And uh, yeah, clearly there's a massive audience for this thing. And But we weren't wrong about one thing because we rolled into the theater and my wife and I, by a pretty decent margin, were the youngest people in that joint. So <laughs> um, that doesn't happen very often anymore for us, but it, it, it was pretty funny. And uh, like, I got to say, like, I had pretty high expectations. It got a extremely positive critical and audience reception from everything I saw and it totally blew me away. I was very pleasantly surprised and I wasn't going to be an easy sell for this one. My wife, like we're sitting there and the first couple bars of the score kick in and she had this goofy grin on her face. Yes. Like I've gone to MCU movies with you and I have never seen anything like it. I literally had tears in my eyes. I was laughing so hard because <laughs> it was so ridiculous, but um, man, it was, it was warranted. And like, the the movie it is very much that 90s action drama to a T it's got lots of those tropes but what made it special is we haven't seen that type of movie for a good 20 30 years so it felt really fresh and unique and it had great performances in it and um being kind of by the numbers was offset by how well, they worked the nostalgia elements into it and the great character work they had from Tom Cruise and his supporting cast. And um, yeah, it was thoroughly entertaining. And I'm not the biggest fan of the original. I could take or leave it, but I adored this movie. Like I liked it significantly more wow. than that first one. And, um, you know, 
it also like not only did it have a kind of old school storytelling approach, but even the filmmaking itself, like loads and loads of practical effects and um, lots of on location shooting and things of that nature. So, yeah, it was it was cool. And, uh, you know, if I'm being honest and taking off just that shiny objects and wow factor and the recency bias, like it's probably a B, B plus type of movie. But that climax is a straight A. Like, it, it is absolutely worth going to see in the theater. I had to pay the premium. Like, it was like, oh, well, you know, do you want to just go see it on regular or should we go to IMAX? Or, And the conversation quickly turned to, well, you saw the Batman I was in just every single say. format. <laughs> Which one was the best? Because that's how we're seeing Top Gun. And so... <laughs> uh, I'm so happy she brought that to the table. That was the <laughs> argument in my head. I'm like... You're going to tell her we're going to go see this in normal 2D format when you saw the Batman seven times on every format available to humankind? <laughs> yeah, so I, I conceded. I was like, well, you know what? That Dolby Digital was the best, so let's just do that. But worth every penny. Like, this was definitely a big screen movie, and you do absolutely get the benefit of the uh, of the big screen experience, the big screen, big sound, and... Uh, yeah, it is all on display. So, yeah, A- minus for me as far as a rating oh. and a huge recommend for pitting the theater on this one because yeah, it's just fun. It's just fun, and it'll take you back. Like, if you grew up 80s, 90s, early 2000s going to movies and, you know, kind of that same feeling that you got going to the things like Jurassic Park or Terminator 2 or even, like, when we went and saw things like Armageddon for the first time, like, this is very much in that vein, and... Like, almost that as an experience was the big nostalgia driver for me. Like, it was just like, God, this is cool. This reminds me of, you know, going to movies in, like, junior high and high school and stuff. So, yeah. Might, might need cool. to go check this one. I, I Like, when you talk about the nostalgia and the experience, I think of in the town I grew up in, the Cinema 4. Crappy seats, not great theater, but, like, that's where I saw Jurassic Park. That's where I saw The Lost World. That's where I saw all of those movies growing up to the, the early 90s more particularly. And you talking about that and the feel that they've actually captured that nostalgia in a meaningful way is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, meaningful way is, is nail on the head where they play those notes that you're hoping that they play, but you're like, ah, they're going to do it in a cheesy way, but they, they do it to inform Maverick's story and his journey. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was cool. Like it was very, very well done for sure. Mm -hmm. So I, my hope is that we actually get my wife and our boy Zeddy to do a podcast because oh, I have not so seen cool. two people <laughs> as happy about a movie as the two of them. Him on social media and then her ridiculous reactions in the theater. <laughs> oh, man. That's like a fist-pumping moment in the theater. Yes! And then freeze frame on it. It's Well, and the thing, too, about the movie, if I can, if we can pull this out just a little bit, is going back to that box office and all that, it is quite remarkable that it's just it's just shy of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, right? It's not mm -hmm. too far off of that. And I wonder if that goes back to our discussion, if I can bring this all around to the word of mouth on this one. Does this do good or as good if it doesn't get this buzz around it? Because it's it's like, like we had said before, we don't know where this is going to land because it's so far removed from the original crowd that are attached to it. And short of people showing their kids really what Top Gun is. This is kind of a brand new movie. And Tom Cruise, he was a big movie star. He's not the draw he was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, right? And so I'm like immensely mm -hmm. interested on something that has this record-breaking opening weekend is what are the steps they took to get there? Yeah, I don't know. Because like even like my wife being Top Gun super fan and stuff, like I... I if memory serves, like I think one of my kids was forced to watch it and the other one like did, did the ejector seat thing and was like, ah, I'm out. <laughs> but um yeah, there there's something to it. And it, you know, to take it back to that Doctor Strange discussion, this movie scored an A plus cinema score, mm. which is pretty rare. And um, you know, if we judge our last A plus cinema score was Spider-Man No Way Home, and we look at what the word of mouth did for that movie and and it's got kind of two clear weeks before Jurassic World Dominion kicks in the door. So yeah, I, I think it'll, I think it'll do well. And um, 
I think it might have the benefit of repeat viewings from a few people mm-hmm. because, you know, despite being on uh, like a casual Top Gun fan, so to speak, if I was told, yeah, we're going tomorrow night, I'd more than happily throw my shoes on and Buckle my aviators and, and off we go. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool, <laughs> man. Well, I'm glad we're able to slide that in because the buzz around or online has been great. And of course, like you mentioned, Zeddy as he is he is maverick as far as i'm concerned and i'm so happy that your wife enjoyed it too because i know that's someone she's been counting down for you know she she soaked in wonder woman and the delays from that and then had to get this pushed out so many times and the disappointment there and finally having it in front of us and it being good yeah also just it's awesome to see i'm loving when i see people that are fans of something that are supporting something behind it getting rewarded with a quality film put in front of them mm-hmm it, like and it is low key hilarious to me, like this whole journey with Top Gun and her. But uh, yeah, it was it was fun, fun little break from the norm. <laughs> Perfect, man. Well, with that awesome little mini review behind us, spoiler free at that. Let's hop over to Star Wars Celebration. So it was quite the weekend in Star Wars. This is traditionally the biggest weekend of the year. Star Wars has not been overly prominent when it comes to the Disney quarterly calls or. Even the reveals have been pretty quiet over the last little bit. As they start to build momentum into Star Wars Celebration, we start to see little things like the Vandy Fair article we talked about a couple of weeks ago and starting to tease things like the starting of filming of Ahsoka and what's next for The Mandalorian. You know, it's it's been a relatively quiet space for the better part of a year outside of, of course, the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian the year before. It's it's As they've kind of steered the ship into new directions, new waters, they, they've been very careful about how they approach what they're teasing out here. And they've left a lot of it to Star Wars Celebration, of course. This is the marquee event for Star Wars. It is a, for the most part, an in-person conference where the experience is what you pay for. And we get kind of things trickled out here uh, to the masses outside of those attending in Anaheim. And now, just a little bit of a plug here. I did a live stream with with Rick and from Jam Transmissions with Rob Cast who was at Star Celebration, and our boy Ian. We sat down on Friday evening over on our YouTube channel and talked through the first two days of Celebration. Rob gave us an impression of what it was like being on the floor. And we talked through Kenobi a little bit. So if you want to go over there and check that out, that's kind of a mid-weekend impression of what Star Celebration is. And what we're going to talk through here, Carlos, is all that and more. Get your kind of first impressions of things on and or Disney+, Plus, where it's going. And of course, some of the Kenobi stuff. So let's kick it off first here with something that we've been highly anticipating for the last little bit. And we've finally gotten a Disney Plus launch date, August 31st. We are going to get to see Andor. It's going to be a 12-episode season, I guess two-parter, where we're getting a season two. There's also going to be 12 episodes, which is a nice confirmation from the creator, Tony Gilroy. It looks like the first season, these first 12 episodes, are going to be set five years before Rogue One and are going to be one year time frame where the following 12 episodes coming, I guess they start shooting in November, will be the last four years building directly into Rogue One. So we have our time frame, we have our launch date, and we have our character and a teaser trailer for this. This was released to the public, so that was very nice of them. And I got to tell you, man, this teaser... It really struck me. This feels like Star Wars, but it also feels like something completely different. I love the 80s aesthetic to it, the white rooms, the look of the Imperial soldiers, the grittiness of it all. It's taking a lot of pages from Rogue One, of course, but there's something about it, and maybe you can help me kind of figure this out, that is so unfamiliar, but also feels like Star Wars, that I think is going to make this show extra special yeah man and like this i you know i was kind of down on andor when they announced it and everything else and i started to come around on it last couple weeks like i mentioned on the show but this trailer might be the showstopper for me of celebration weekend altogether kenobi included uh because it embraced that one part of Star Wars that I always talk about that I love the most that we so rarely get. And this might be what you're uh, kind of thinking about uh, being that familiar piece, but it's really, really, really focused 
on the people in the galaxy reacting to mm-hmm. the forces around them. And so we see the effect that the Empire has on a regular community and how they are struggling to survive and why the rebellion is something that appeals to them. So that's awesome. That's like something that appeals to me and where my fandom is, is at with star Wars. And then also that transition piece where we get to see a few bits of the clone troopers and we get to see stormtroopers in a piece of media for maybe the first time ever, or I guess like they did in the bad batch bit, but um, yeah. And to see that in live action, amazing like very welcome and yeah andor is shot to the top of my uh uh anticipation list with this trailer and and there was just something about how it was shot mm. and just the the epicness and the sweepingness of it and it's it had that feel where you have an accomplished um filmmaker and somebody with a bit of vision doing their thing but within um the system and the lore and the parameters of the bigger story that Lucasfilm is trying to tell. And I, I love that kind of stuff too. Right. So, um, just like that initial scene with like the bell ringing and then it being code to the rest of the folks, like so well done. And yeah, I just cannot wait to see what they bring with this show mm-hmm. and that it's 24 episodes. That's awesome. It's huge. Like that's huge. And they, they might be 30 minute episodes, but you, you you can tell a lot of story there. And to your point about Tony Gilroy and what he's coming at this is this has all been developed really organically, right? This isn't a spinoff of a Skywalker story. This is them getting and saying, we want to tell this story, telling it inside of Rogue One and saying, wait, there's more to tell about this. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've gotten this era quite a few times with Rebels and even some of the stuff that they've done in the comic books, but not like this. There's always a lightsaber somewhere. There's always the force somewhere, right? And this one is going to sidestep a lot of that, like Rogue One did, where you have a little bit of it on the periphery, but it's not the focal point of it. Even Mandalorian, right? You get Luke, and you get Ahsoka, and you get Grogu, and so there's there's that element is embedded inside of that, where this one's going to be completely divergent from that, again, like we, we saw in Rogue One. And Rogue One, for myself, and I know a lot of like hardcore Star Wars fans, Rogue One sits atop of the mountain of films there for their favorites. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's in my top three for sure. Yeah, and like, and the way you said it, the way it was shot too, it feels grand. It feels big. It feels cinematic. And that's something that we can talk about a little bit later with Kenobi and maybe how this compares to that. But the the idea that you get, like one of my favorite shots in this whole trailer is when you get that sterile white environment with the Imperial Trooper sitting there. Like, it feels so 80s. feels so 2001 A Space Odyssey, the original Star Wars film. There's something about how they're shooting this that makes it feel a piece with everything else that they've done, but in that era. Like, I don't know what it is about it, but I just love that. There's a couple of zoom shots where they've got people marching in tunnels and that. It looks so good. Yeah, no, it's cool. And it's like because correct me if I'm wrong, but Tony Gilroy came in to kind of clean up Rogue mm-hmm. Rogue One, right? Yeah, from and Garrett so that, Edwards, yeah. that they developed an Andor show kind of out of the blue with this tells me that there was a bit of a passion and a bit of an idea for the mm-hmm. character. And it reminds me very much of Peacemaker being born out of the Suicide yes. Squad, yes. where you're working on one thing and that creative fire starts getting stoked and it gives birth to another project. It's not because we need to have an Andor show on our slate or uh, another project in Star Wars. They've got loads of different ideas that they could work with. It comes from a place of passion. So that's cool. Like, that's so cool. And brown guy in Star Wars, I'm always there for it. So yeah, yeah. let's go. Diego Luna, man. Yeah, our boy Rick, he was he was really enjoying the, the praise that Andor was getting across the, the Star Wars community over the weekend. Yeah. Well, and speaking of transitionary times, we also got a teaser trailer for Jedi Survivor, the Ooh. sequel to Jedi Fallen Order. So, yeah, I don't know what the heck is going on. My boy Calacastus is back, front and center. He's looking at dudes and back to tanks. And I didn't get to do a ton of time researching anything, but no clue. Yeah, the little. <laughs> no. 
no, I I don't either. But it, I I love the fact that it seems to be like alluded to by the title that it's a bit of a survival story and talks about Cal being in the background uh, trying to make his way. And I'm so curious to see where they take the story. And um, yeah, I have a lot of love for this series and I can't wait to play this game. And I think it's interesting that they made the decision to have it as current gen, like PS5, Xbox One only, as opposed to trying to engineer it so that they could put it on the older consoles like the PS4 and whatnot as well. So um, that goes to, that, to me, that says that they've done some pretty spectacular things with the actual mm-hmm. um, technical side of the game. So I'm, I am absolutely there for it. And, and it'll be just cool. Like I, I love those bits in between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope yeah. and Pope's Return of the Jedi to... Um, Force Awakens. So, yeah, I I I thought it was cool. What do you think of this trailer, man? You're man. the one that actually sent it to me. Yeah, blew me away. I saw it and I was like, I did not know that they were even talking about this this weekend. But of course they were. I watched it again. They are the cutscenes. You're not seeing any sort of gameplay in this, but love the story. Love the setting. I love how we're seeing the Inquisitors again, kind of interwoven, and in how they seem to be a bit of the the continuity pieces that are kind of making you or making the the greater fan base understand, okay, what time frame this is set in. And so it's a nice time marker for me. And it looks fantastic, intriguing. And Cal Kestis, man, he's got to be the lowest hanging fruit for a live action appearance, wouldn't you think? Well, that the guy is an actor yeah. and an <laughs> extremely good actor, first and foremost, who just happened to be who they chose to be their character model for this video game series. Like, come on. And there's a lot to suggest that this game takes place in the same time frame as the Kenobi series. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, pie in the sky dream would be that, you know, in one of these next four episodes of that show, he shows up. But maybe we get Obi Wan in the game. Yeah, Who I, knows? I, I, to me, it just seems like they're they're doing everything right now, right? They're very focused on making sure that eras of stories have some sort of connective tissues, and having Cal Kestis show up in Obi Wan, to me, I, I would say if I'm gonna make a like you said a big prediction as far as a cameo, it's got to be him, right? <laughs> Yeah, and they kind of set it up for why Obi-Wan would react to him positively. Yeah. Because, you know, we'll, we'll get into Obi-Wan and spoilers there, but we have somebody who he reacts to kind of negatively and mm-hmm. he sees the consequence of that. So, um, yeah, Cal in a similar stead. Shoot, even if they close out the show with Kenobi jumping on his ship and off they go, like, that would be amazing. I don't so think that'll good. happen, but it would be amazing. So good. Well, this this looks like it drops this year, correct? That's still the the plan for Jedi or Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Yes, yes. So yeah, that's a pleasant surprise. And so yeah, I get to close out. I might be off the show for a while because I got <laughs> Gotham Knights and I got uh, Jedi Survivor coming up. So yeah, maybe we we'll have to move our podcast to Twitch. <laughs> Just live streaming as we go. Uh, what are we talking yeah. about today? <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Well, let's hop back over to to Disney Plus and talk about another really intriguing piece. As they did the Lucasfilm showcase and the Mando Plus panels, as they called them, we got various bits and pieces from all the Disney Plus coming at us, and Andor being one of them, and Ahsoka was another one that they did have Razier Dawson there. They introduced our live action Sabine for that it will be coming in this show. Teased a chopper appearance. They also had a trailer that was not released to the public, which we may or may not have saw. I don't know, but I definitely saw someone that looked like Hera, the ghost in live action, and really teasing out continuing the Rebels story for where we saw Dave Filoni's very fantastic animated series end with that big mural and the disappearance of Ezra and Grand Animal Thrawn. We saw or heard Thrawn mentioned by Ahsoka in Mando season two. So a lot of threads there and Filoni being the creative force behind this, Carlos, it seems that he is literally taking his creations from animated and pulling them up to the big screen with Ahsoka dropping in 2023. 
What do you think of this footage that you may or may not have saw? Okay, man, this this spy cam footage <laughs> and then like the associated um, f- coverage of the panel totally saved this weekend because we get on that horse and we watch Kenobi and you see how episode two ends. And I was like, shoot, wasn't that dude in Rebels? And then I kind of playing on my phone and I show my kid an article that says, did Kenobi just retcon rebels out of existence? <laughs> and man, there was grumpiness abound and she was not happy because rebels is one of her favorite things ever. And then, yeah, that is Soka news drops and it's like, no, the rebels are not only entrenched, but they're going to be here and bigger and badder than ever, obviously in the future uh, of star Wars past where the Kenobi show has taken place. And um, yeah, it, it, it's just cool, man. Like it, I think it's neat that they're going to have a series that's so fundamentally entrenched in the lore of one of their animated series mm-hmm. that preceded it. Because even like the Clone Wars, for as great as it is, and maybe because it's just so long, they kind of set themselves up with their live action stuff that you could sidestep it and not mm-hmm. watch it all and still understand what's going on. But with this Ahsoka show, it. I'm starting to get the sense that like it is fundamentally tied and informed it is. by rebels. So yeah, that's cool. And like rebels is digestible a and B it's, it's excellent animated storytelling. Like they mm. took a lot of risks and told some uh, pretty intricate stories with it and took their narrative in some very interesting places. So yeah, I'm, I'm there. I can't wait to see our live action Ezra. We yeah. all know that we're going to get him. So, yeah, another Sabine brown guy man? in Star Wars. Yeah, and, man, perfect choice. Like, she looks just like the animated character. Yeah. yeah. And and that's without the hair dye and the costume or anything like that. So, that's great. I'm excited to see what our Hera is like. And then, yeah. Yeah, we to, should get probably Jason Sindula in this as well, um, mm-hmm. which is could, you're another Force user potentially that we could be seeing in this. Um I do like because this is set quite a few years. Like he would be quite old at this point, Um, and so like you're looking at least like ten plus, maybe thirteen, fourteen, fifteen in there. Uh, Jason Sindula, and so Mm -hmm. being the the son spoiler of uh, Hera and um, Caleb, or what's his name? Um, Caleb Dooms is his actual name. Uh, Kanan. Kanan. So. It, it looks awesome. Like, the fact that Rebels... Like, it took me a bit to get into Rebels for those looking to jump in. Like, the first season, you gotta gotta get into it. By the time you get to season two, and they start to bring in some pretty influential characters, and they start to build out Rebels. There's a few bottle episodes here and there, but they do some really significant storytelling with all the characters and Grand Animal Thrawn. I remember I was... Jeez, when they first introduced him into Rebels, it was a teaser trailer at a celebration. I remember watching it and being like, or maybe it was SCCC. Anyways, it was like unbelievable. Thrawn's one of my favorite legacy characters of all time. And the fact that they wove him into that, re-canonized that character in, a more, in such a meaningful way. And now that we're going to get to see him again, live action, this is so cool. And it's like a fan's dream that Filoni is basically running with this Ahsoka show and essentially picking up the threads of Rebels. And just going with it. Yeah. And Rebels, like, it's not one that I've watched all the way through, but it, it, like, through the entire pandemic, it was constantly on the TV Mm -hmm. while I was milling about and doing whatever. So, um, yeah, I can certainly appreciate what it brings to the table and just, uh, like, that's the show that really codified my kids' super fandom in Star Wars. So, speaks to the quality of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's keep going with the uh, the Disney Plus stuff and Mando season three. Another behind closed doors reveals inside of this one, where there was the panel and they had everyone from all the casts, including Katie Sackoff, Bo-Katan, Grief Karg up there, Man Carl Weathers, and Din Djarin. We've got um, what's his name, uh, Pedro Pascal. So everyone's up there talking about Mando season three, and then they show a trailer that most of us have seen through through leak footage unfortunately it does kind of suck that they were doing things behind closed doors but the thing that shocked me about mando season three i guess just two pieces one how much they've actually filmed 
because I wasn't even really aware that they were they were that deep into the filming of Mando season three. And two, very nicely from this Vanity Fair article, and I mentioned this in the live stream, they detail in that article the fact that Mando was conceived from both Filoni and Favreau merging an idea to do a Mandalorian story where Favreau wanted to do the lone gunslinger and Filoni wanted to pick up on threads that he developed inside of the Clone Wars on the Mandalorians themselves, the lore behind the Mandalorian. And the first season was more of the Favreau approach. The second season was an amalgamation of the both of them. And it looks like the third season is going to be really a Dave Filoni pushed season where we are going to Mandalore. We're getting to see Bo-Katan in a space. We're going to really push the elements of that piece of the show, the whole Mandalorian lore and what it all means and how Din Djarin fits into all of that. And that is the thing that's got me excited for, for Mandalorian season three is that we're again going to see a different story. It's not the lone gunman and the kid. He is going on an adventure to Mandalore to, I guess, prove himself after taking his helmet off to kind of maybe, I guess, rebaptize himself in the ways of, of the Mandalorian. And I think that is really cool that we're getting just such a divergent approach to this season. Yeah, the part that gets me excited, even though they're not setting it up that way, is the potential for Din to kind of evolve a bit and maybe be less of like the religious extremist Mm -hmm. Mandalorian (laughs) type of thing. Everything that they're showing us from the, the show suggests that, you know, the reason that he's going on this journey is to re-embrace that but i think that his his development as the show goes will be him kind of casting that off and it'll be just cool to see maybe more pedro pascal or to be able to have a bit more of a an intimate relationship with him and grogu going forward kind of thing which will then allow you to start working on building out grogu's personality a bit more so that that'll be cool and like the mandalorian lore and the political and religious aspects of their culture were interesting and something that they played with loads in in rebels once again and it'll be cool to see that all play out in live action there are some pretty neat shots of bo mm-hmm. sitting on the throne in mandalore and whatnot so yeah i'll be curious to see that but the thing i'm the most excited for is i think this is where they can finally really push din's character forward yeah. and evolve him into a a more well-rounded character type of thing mm-hmm. and he'll of course keep his gunsling and bounty hunter aspects to him but yeah it's it's a real progression season i think and it makes you step back and think a little bit more or at least me about the book of boba fett and those two episodes we got in there and the work they did inside of that that maybe there just wasn't room to do that in this season because of what they want to progress with Din. They wanted to move past the Grogu, past the Jedi stuff, and really mm-hmm. shift the focus back to the Mandalorian himself inside of the season. Yeah, I, I'll still <laughs> never be or get over my shock of just how deep into Mandalorian season two they took those yeah. episodes. Yeah. And that they, they're like, ah, you know what? We're just transitioning over Shocking. and having yeah, <laughs> massive movement forward in the Mandalorian storyline uh, within this Boba Fett show. But uh, whatever. I love those episodes deeply. So, yeah, so, yeah I'm there for it. And, uh, yeah, speaking of their animated side of their universe and things that they're building out, I don't know if we'll see these guys in live action anytime soon, but we got our first look at the Bad Batch Season 2. And, man, this was cool. Like, I ironically out of the whole crew i seem to be one of the few that went through and mm-hmm. watched all of the bad batch <laughs> as they aired from beginning to end and and i quite loved it like maybe it's cuz i was hunting those darn figures the whole time or what it was but yeah i really liked it and to be honest we got to the end of the season and i think i actually liked it more than my kid and uh this looks to have turned things on its ear and really evolved uh, the entire concept of the show and where things are going. And once again, it's they're firmly entrenching it in that Empire galaxy, but you have some strong pulls from 
the prequel era and where the clones are at, which is cool. And to see the Bad Batch trying to find their way in this world, there's, you know, we had the Republic Commando from the old video game looking type clones mm-hmm. for the first time in, in this type of media. And the Bad Batch looks to have all evolved their looks. And there's rumblings of Commander Cody being in this thing. So we'll see. And that'll be interesting to see some of those clones. that Because all the clones that we saw the Bad Batch interact with thus far were ones that had transitions and had broken the mind control and didn't participate in Order 66. Whereas he was one that very much did. Um, You know, he had a very different reaction as... Kenobi's uh, general than uh, Captain Rex did, so yeah, I I'm there for it, man. Like I'm super excited for Bad Bat season two, and like even Omega looked like she was a bit of a badass now. So yeah, it looks like they've jumped in time. I believe like she looks older, a bit longer mm-hmm. hair, and I I kind of like that jump. I think that it allows them to kind of take some liberties with the characters and just say, yep, they evolved in the background there and. They did their thing, and this is where we can get to. We don't have to show the whole progression of Omega on how she got from A to B. We can just say, it all happens in that space. There's probably a comic book coming where we can fill in that time gap, right? Or So I like when these shows do make those leaps. And it's definitely got me intrigued because that was one that got through a couple episodes, and it's always taken me a long time to, to get into an anime. It took me a long time to get into Rebels, and once I did, I was there every single week for it. And so... Maybe with the anticipation of this coming, I think a little later on this year, that I'll kind of get back into this. But the 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 big cameo of the day is is Gungi, the the little Wookie <laughs> Padawan with the lights. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to do it again. They're trying to get us uh, to to buy in a whole bunch of uh, of stuff for our kids. I've got more Grogu's upstairs than I care to admit. And is is Gungi going to be the next one? But but for real, I love that they keep like slotting in these Jedi that survive order 66. I, I really dig that. Oh yeah. Because man, it's, it's great stuff. Like mm. all of fallen order was that. Yeah. And they planted a ton of seeds and it's just like, yeah, of course we need to have survivors because it, it just makes for great stories. And when you have your heroes being in that position of weakness, it's always going to be more compelling. Mm-hmm. So to have these kids scattered all over the four winds and, you know, maybe a few of their masters, why not? I don't know. I'm all over walking over some of those gospel truths within the Star Wars canon because well, it's, it's like, way more interesting. It's only gospel truth because it was set up in a way and we interpreted it in a way or it was interpreted in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. The way you get around a lot of this, like I know going into Rebels, a lot of people are like, well, they got to kill all of them before including ahsoka before rebels ends because how can they exist or and not have any participation in the events of the original trilogy and they found a very clever way around that right they they you can easily retcon or whatever you want into most of this stuff and you know why was ahsoka not there why wasn't ezra there where was grand animal like they they've worked around some of it but it's, it, it doesn't have to be so beholden to this, like, script, right? Like, this is how it happened. There was no Jedi. Yeah, there's Jedi kicking around, you know? They're just being yeah. hunted by all these Inquisitors. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think it's oh, great yeah. storytelling and great expansive storytelling because I don't, I personally don't think you really step on much, like, having these Jedi guys and or kicking around or having these Jedi kicking around. And it, it makes for compelling stories. Like, this guy's back, and I got a huge pop from the audience. Yeah. And oh man. And even if it does walk on it, who cares? Like, yeah. would you rather have this sacred cow of canon left intact, or would you rather have this absolutely kick-ass story? Yeah. That you get to experience in this whole new piece of Star Wars mm-hmm. that might not fit in with some dialogue or some preconceived notion, like you said. Yeah. Character yeah. over continuity all day. Yeah, there it is. All I day. love it. And speaking about new Star Wars and new avenues of storytelling. Let's let's talk about two different two more animated TV shows that were announced. Um, one is the season two, and that is of course Star Wars Visions. That's something that we had a, a lot of fun reviewing with our man Chris Coelho over on his YouTube channel. We got spring twenty twenty three. We got the second volume of what is the exploration of Star Wars in the anime side of the the creative world, and they're bringing new stories, new creative teams from Japan, India, UK, Ireland, Spain, Chile, France, South Africa. 
California are all contributing to this again. So really taking the same approach that they did last time and giving different flavors, different stories, new stories in that animation style that, to be honest with you, wasn't something I was super excited about. But once we sat down and watched it and talked about it with Chris, I, I'm amped up for, for Vision Season 2. And then they also announced Tales of the Jedi, which is something that I believe they announced at maybe one of the Disney Investors Days, but never really gave any insight as to what it was going to be. They did at Celebration reveal it would be an animated original. It's an anthology type of series with shorts um, landing on Disney+. Plus. It's going to tell stories of both Ahsoka and Count Dooku. It's going to tell three episodes for each going back to their early years. And the Dooku stuff will also include the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn and a returning younger Qui-Gon Jinn voiced by none other than Liam Neeson. So some more exploration of different stories on the animated side of things. Bad Batch, Star Wars Visions, Tales of the Jedi. The animated is very, very strong piece of Star Wars storytelling on Disney Plus right now. Yeah, and it's cool. Like I I I saw the announcement of Visions 2, but I didn't actually wrap my head around the fact that it's gonna be from a bunch of different countries if this time contributing mm-hmm. their styles and approaches to animated storytelling. So that's that's really exciting to me to just see some different and diverse voices in this space telling Star Wars stories, but telling them their way. So I'm stoked to see what some of those different countries can bring to the forefront with how they're going to approach that. And then, yeah, that Ahsoka Dooku thing, that, that just sounds cool because Dooku, that's another piece where everything we know about his backstory is exposition dumps. Mm-hmm. like, And that's through the prequel trilogy and through Clone Wars. You don't really get to see the young Dooku and his fall from grace. You, you hear about it and we get glimpses of it, but um, to see it get like a 90 minute or longer kind of treatment over three episodes, that'll be cool. That'll yeah. be cool. And Having Liam Neeson come back only, I think in my mind, brings to the surface the fact that he's going to appear in, in Kenobi in some capacity, which really excites me. But you're right with Dooku is that when he gets to attack of the clones, because the time leap is so big, He's kind of like a very abrupt, here's the new bad guy because we killed the bad guy we probably should have kept through the whole series in episode one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here yeah. he is. He's got a red lightsaber. He's bad. And then you, you get that exposition dump with him and Obi-Wan, and then you find out that he was Qui-Gon's master. And he's never one that gets any time in the films, at least, to to understand what his story is, what his development is, why the turn happened. And I'm hoping that – and maybe that's in a comic book or a book somewhere that I haven't read – but I'm hoping that this this show, Tales of Jedi, really expands on that, like you're saying, and gives us some more insight into those early years of Dooku and what really led him to being a little different because Qui-Gon is always praised as the different Jedi, the you know the quote-unquote gray Jedi maybe. I know people don't like that term, but the Jedi that thought differently and he was kind of nixed off. And some of that was probably in relation to Dooku, his master, passing down those thoughts and ideas. So I want to see the stuff like that explored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's an exciting space to play with. Right. And I'll be curious to see which era they choose to do with Ahsoka. Cause she's one of the few that you actually get to see her progression mm-hmm. over a fairly complete period of time. Yeah, I think actually... they're going like way back. I believe there's an image. I don't know if it's a trailer, if it's just an image of her as a baby. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that'll be cool. That'll be so. cool. And and yeah, my my theory is going to be that it would be kind of post Rebels, where we see where she is and mm-hmm. in that. And time it's frame, anthology, but... so it doesn't necessarily mean every episode is like picks. It's probably a, a theme that goes through it, but they could all be set in different times too. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting stuff, and I've I really liked everything they've done with Star Wars on Disney Plus. So mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Yeah, all day. Well, the last thing on the Disney Plus side of things, at least, that we have to mention here is one more show. It was kind of one of our few big announcements of new material coming to the world of Star Wars, and that's Star Wars Skeleton Crew. So a new show being led in the acting space by Jude Law. It will debut in 2023. It is being put together by John Watts and Chris Ford. And they were able to reveal a few of the details, specifically its setting. So it's in that Ahsoka Mandalorian time frame. 
And the story is a journey of individuals trying to find their way home. And Watts was very specific, saying that the it does start kids, so four kids trying to find their way home inside of the story's universe, but it's not a kid's show. And so what that tells me is that, yes, it is going to be focused in around them. The thing that immediately comes to mind is like a Stranger Things and Star Wars for me. Um, mm-hmm. Given that Stranger Things is out right now, and you've got that group of kids trying to navigate their way through some crazy wild stuff. And so it's not particularly a kid show. So that's the thing that kind of surfaces for me. But cool that this is happening and we're continuing to build out that Disney Plus post-Return of the Jedi era. This might be taking place of whatever that other show that might have been centered in and around uh, Cara Dune. Might be taking the place of that completely different show. But it's cool to see John Watts shifting over to the Star Wars universe and, and taking a swing at a Disney Plus series here. Yeah, this one I didn't know tons about, but yeah, Jude Law always brings his A game, so that's exciting. And John Watts, you know, he's got an aptitude for telling stories with young actors in that kind of coming of age space. So, yeah, I, I loved what he did with the Spider Man movies, released the first and third one. So, it'll be cool to see uh, what he does in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I wonder if this is the replacement for that Rangers of the Old Republic or well, Rangers of the New Republic. Yeah, and they might work in story elements. I don't know. It's just the time frame it's setting. Or they could just be looking at this how successful telling stories in this space is right now and how they're able to kind of weave things in and out and kind of have their cake and eat it too when it comes to building a universe or building mm-hmm. a more connected universe of stories. And using Disney Plus as a platform to do that with, of course, Filoni and Favreau with a guiding hand over all this stuff, too. So Yeah, and why not? Something different in the Star Wars space. So Exactly. And, you know, my hope is, like we talked about, that this doesn't fall to the one of the kids is Force-sensitive, right? I, I just want this to be kids running around in the Star Wars universe and, like, bumping into to random Star Wars familiarity. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? It's a little we'll see where there. it takes us. Yeah, man. Well, I think I think what we should do now is maybe head over to Kenobi. There's a bunch of toy reveals, but I think we'll we'll save that maybe for next week and have a bit larger of a conversation around the plastic because we're gonna collapse our week in nerd for this this week, given it's a news heavy week and uh, the collecting's been been a little light. So maybe what we need to do is sit back and have a bit more of a larger toy collection because there was a whole bunch of cool stuff from Hasbro revealed, including a look at all the Obi Wan Kenobi figures, which look freaking banging to be honest with you. Um, I hope that price point comes down a little bit. So some interesting reveals. They had the exclusive that was the the, uh, the Happy Hogan and Palvisa mashup, but um, but let's let's save some of that toy stuff and, and head over to Kenobi for the rest of the episode. So I had a chance to to talk about Kenobi in a bit of detail over on the live stream, but I had some time to simmer, some time to digest some of it, and uh, we haven't heard from Carlos yet either on your first impressions of Kenobi. Now Kenobi dropped this past week, two episodes, of course. And it turned out to be the largest premiere of a Disney Plus original series globally ever. And so in the, in the short time that Disney Plus has been around, this this tops out all the MCU stuff and the Mandalorian. So a very, very strong opening for Obi-Wan Kenobi, especially as it sits shoulder to shoulder with the premiere of the first part of Stranger Things Season 4. Now, I've been able to get through both of these for the most part, not all of Stranger Things. But Kenobi definitely took the front seat on this one. And the other interesting fact about what Kenobi did for Disney Plus is that apparently after Kenobi launched, it tripled the viewership of watch time hours for other Star Wars content as well. So <laughs> that could be both Kenobi and Celebration, people going back and kind of experiencing certain things. And so Obi-Wan Kenobi having an impact here, but how did it have an impact on yourself there, Carlos? Yeah, I first of all, shout out to Disney and greatly appreciated that you ended up dropping it and <laughs> dropping it early for me because there was all sorts of plans and conspiracy to wake up at the crack of dawn to try and get this thing in before uh, our Friday obligation started to kick in. And yeah, just by fluke, I picked up my phone and saw that the countdown was on and I got to watch it like at 8.30 on a Thursday night or whatever it was. So that was super nice to be able to experience. And so, yeah, like high level, I really liked it. And I loved all the important stuff. Like I thought all the characters they introduced were cool. I really liked 
um, where they had Obi Wan, I Ewan hasn't missed a beat with playing this character. He picked up right where he left off, and that felt pretty perfect. I love the story that they told to get him back in the fight and to convince him to uh, come out of his um, Overwatch position with Luke. And uh, I liked all that stuff. I did think that some of the production and the staging and um, the direction of things was really shoddy, to be honest with you. Like the bar scene where the young Jedi goes running away and he stops these big bad inquisitors by lowering some curtains. And then we had like that Leia chase scene and like the young lady did fine, but the way it was staged and like the reactions of the people chasing her, it felt like so like nineties CBC special where it's like, Oh, the RCMP are chasing this kid. Like through the small town Ontario type of thing. I was just like, what is this? This is like Disney Plus flagship show and this is what you're giving us. But then that's offset by like the beautiful shots at Alderaan Mm -hmm. and how they presented that. And then like the planet that Obi-Wan goes to. Um, So yeah, it, it, it had a bit of a identity crisis for me in that regard because you get this great performance from Ewan and he's going through this seedy city and you have all these cool interactions with the citizens there and then you have Kamal Naljiani playing the same character he played in Stuber and everything else that he's in and it's like what why (laughs) why are you dragging this down like that so yeah I don't know but the important pieces really brought it like the Riva the Four sister, she's going to be a big part of the show. I thought she was great. Ewan was great. I actually really liked what they did with Leia. I thought she was cool and oh, had yeah. a, a neat energy to her. And so, yeah, we've got those pieces and we teed up Vader. So that's all right. Honestly, like uh, performance-wise, the one that I thought was the weirdest was the Grand Inquisitor, but she dispensed with him pretty quick. So I don't know that we'll be seeing much of him for the rest of the series. So that's fine. And yeah, like at the end of the day, I'm chomping at the bit and super curious to see where we go from here. Got another four hours ish with these characters. And yeah, I, I didn't think it was perfect. It didn't meet the, uh, the high bar that they kind of suggested that it would, but it's just the first two episodes. I'm really glad that they dropped, two episodes as opposed to just one. Yeah. I um, I think, I think that first one didn't give us a great showcase of Obi-Wan, like, or what the show was going to bring. The only parts of that, that I thought were done really well were those kind of meat packing plant ones where he was going about his daily business and then getting on that train to go home. Like I really liked the work that they did there. And I was mm-hmm. excited for Deborah Chow to, be tackling the show and directing because I loved her Mandalorian episodes and a bunch of her other work with other series. But yeah, this I was, I was a little surprised and maybe because I had high expectations based on her previous work. Uh, that's why the kind of behind the camera stuff mm-hmm. uh, took me aback a bit. But um, yeah, on the whole, like there's, there's nothing to hate about it and it's not slowing me down from watching episode three the first chance I get. So yeah, yeah, it's a win. Yeah. It was, it was a really great entry into it. You know, this is the thing that, you know, that I'm finding about a lot of these Disney plus shows, especially for, for marquee franchises like star Wars and Marvel is that the, the expectation does weigh into it, but I will honestly say that sometimes, and this is probably my only negative knock is similar to you. I look at things. I'm like, I think this isn't as polished maybe as you think it would yes. be. Yes. And, you step back and you know, like you, like you said, the, the little girl playing Leia, I loved, I love, I love that Leia is in this because it was something I was not expecting. And it's, but it's the most obvious thing when you step back and look at it, why Obi-Wan would leave. Like mm-hmm. it, it's just very good storytelling for me, but like you, the, the little chase scene and I'm uh, no knock at the girl or anything like that, but it's just moments when like the guy's like, ah, a log in my face. Like, <laughs> yes. and like, it's just that kind of thing that, you look at it, you're like, this is kind of goofy and takes you out just for a second. But, you know, I don't care that they can't catch her. Of course, she can do whatever she wants or they, they can go at it. But 
it's just those little moments you look at it's, it's just and there's just sometimes just not this crisp edge to things yeah and, it's that lack of you nailed it with that lack of polish and like part of it like i've watched loads and loads of the star trek stuff on paramount and not to do the versus thing because literally the only thing that those two franchises have in common is the word star in their title they're completely <laughs> different but like with the new trek stuff it is just it's impeccable like the the sets and the staging and the performances and the way they execute it is crisp it's clear and it is tight and so, like, that's what I was expecting from Obi-Wan. And I think that we'll see them really bring their A-game once yeah. we get to the climax of this thing. But I was just a little surprised. Like you said, the lack of polish, you, you'd you mm-hmm. expect it to be there. Yeah. And, like, I like the way that they told the Obi-Wan story at the start. Like, he doesn't say a whole bunch in the first episode. It's very mm-hmm. much just, like, experiencing his life with him, which I thought was a cool way to get back with Obi-Wan because you don't need to do a whole bunch of work there. You can just say... He's here. This is what he's been doing. And there's a lot of repetition in there, him going to the meatpacking. Like, I think we see it two or three times where he packs up the little thing, goes, feeds the, you know. And so it's a lot of that, but it's just like a lot of subtlety. And Hugh McGregor really hammers that home with it, the way he expresses himself. And you see his position when when he interacts directly with the Jedi saying, like, go away. Like, we're done. We lost. And mm-hmm. the way they bring him back, like I said, I, I just love that they used Leia. And they had Bill Organa, Jimmy Smith's back in that role. And it, it was provided a really nice story way to get him off without being like, let's go on an adventure, Obi-Wan. Like this, if one, if there's one thing in the universe to get him off, it was Leia. Like it makes perfect 100% sense to me. And, and like you said, the Inquisitor piece, I, I really enjoyed that. I know we had talked about, you know, maybe the Grand Inquisitor looks a little off or what are they going to actually do with these characters? I thought it was like all of them. Um, what's his name from Fast and the Furious as one of the seventh brother or whatever he is, and and Reva Moses Ingram playing the what's going to be I guess the main antagonist and having this like real drive to get Obi Wan Kenobi. I thought she was freaking awesome. And yeah, as the third sister. Third yeah, sister. it was cool. I uh, I hope that they do a bit of backstory telling yes. about think, the Inquisitors and what they're all about. And I think her in particular, that's... because that scene at the very start really sticks out as something like, why is this here with the clone? Like the, the cold mm-hmm. open to the Clone Wars um, or Order 66. one little girl is her. I, I would think so, yeah. And then there's something to do with Obi-Wan that he saw her and turned away from her, left her or something to that effect. And there's some major resentment there. Like I, I'm hoping that there's, yeah, a very, like there's definitely a reason, a story reason why she's at pursuing it. It's not just to impressed Darth Vader, right? Um, the fact that she dispenses with the Grand Inquisitors, like there's there's other ulterior motivation and she's used the Inquisitors in my mind as a means to an end to get to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, like, and just the Inquisitors themselves, like they, they obviously don't all have the same journey, but like where my knowledge of them comes is from uh, Jedi Fallen Order. And it, they actually have pretty tragic backstory in that, game and mm-hmm. I, I imagine it's pretty similar in rebels and whatnot so uh, for people that haven't watched that show or haven't um played the video game it, i i really feel they owe it to them because it's just such uh, a neat piece of the star wars lore mm-hmm. to present a bit of backstory and not just for her but for just kind of what they're all about and what they're born of and then that's another piece that you have where you know, there's always that potential for them being redeemed and becoming Jedi's again, or mm-hmm. there's that hope there, right? So that gives you a whole another big ball of wax to play with, and yeah. and why not? Yeah, there's so much they can do in that space, and you got the Tim Morrison cameo as a clone trooper, which I thought was like a really cool way to bring him into the the show. Um, and then of course you got your Anakin Skywalker your Darth Vader tease at the the very end of episode two, which I thought was a brilliant in my mind. I was like, okay, episode two is going to be the episode where towards the end, we get a glimpse of Vader or that's where they introduce him. And I like that. They went back to tank Vader. They went, you know, here's his face and you get Hayden Christian who had like the biggest pop at Star Wars celebration. Um, when he, when he said, this is where the fun begins when they're asking him about Kenobi and before the premiere and all that. And um, I'm hoping that he gets to do some some real work in there in this and not all behind the mask. 
Yeah, I'll be. Uh, that's one of the things that I've been fascinated with since they announced that he's specifically coming back to do Darth Vader is what they're going to give him to chew on and what his performance is going to be like. So I, I was, I liked where they took that episode. And then I thought uh, her little confrontation with the Grand Inquisitor was going to be where they'd close that thing out. So mm-hmm. oh, it, it that, 100%, it goes black. Like, okay, this is the end of the show or end of the episode and mm-hmm. all that. How do you, just last thing, how do you, do you think the the stabbing of the Grand Inquisitor, because clearly he comes back, right? Like that's what you're talking about, but the retconning of rebels and everything, correct? Yes. Yeah. Is it, is that just a, a way to get him out so that she can run wild a little bit? Yeah, maybe. And maybe to give him a bit more menace through Rebels and whatnot, mm. right? Because he'd always talk about having a fate worse than death. So I almost wonder if this actually explains what he meant by that. Because, mm. you know, we don't know what's under his suit and all that kind of stuff. So maybe Vader... Uh, saves his life and resurrects him and that's what woke him up was seeing his kind of second in command yeah go down and then you know he he basically does the same thing that palpatine did for him and okay. rescuing like him it. and then making it terrible and so yeah we'll see what happens and ah who knows and then yeah i like that i like that for story like for the grand inquisitor story but i also like it because i, I think it it takes a piece off the table for for reva you don't have like what is meant to be like the most powerful inquisitor is my assumption and you take that piece off the table and you got her either butting heads directly with vader or you've allowed her to to run around in a a bigger capacity where she doesn't have the inquisitors also chasing her where it's you kind of have this cat and mouse game with them and that's taking up more you know you i want to see her versus kenobi and then how that bridges to uh, vader versus kenobi yeah or who knows? Maybe she turns good guy and joins Calacastus and Obi Wan oh, fighting go, against man. the Empire, <laughs> and then they fly <laughs> off into Jedi Survivor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there it is, man. We got we got an exciting next couple of weeks with Kenobi. Uh, these are all still dropping on Friday, right? Or are they dropping earlier? No, tomorrow. Tomorrow we get the third one, so they're moved to Wednesday. I think it was just those oh, first. Okay, release. just those first ones. So we've got the oh, Wednesdays, yeah. so you guys will have seen episode three after hearing our thoughts here what we'll probably do for the podcast is we'll probably do a wrap-up episode of kenobi because the the way that they come out this wednesday drop doesn't really work with the format of the podcast and that we're talking about episodes that you've already seen the next one and so we'll probably do a wrap-up but we want to get our first impressions out there of course uh, of kenobi as as we wrap up this episode of mostly star wars it's it's been a hell of a week and we've got some toys to talk about in probably next week or next week or so and that excites me as well maybe we'll we'll tap the shoulder of our, our one friend mac uh, mike tarkin to, to maybe talk uh, a bit more of the toy side of things and Star Wars firing all cylinders man it's very exciting to see what they're doing inside of that space and that disney plus is getting a lot of focus and the films were were absent from this but i think it's uh i think that's just smart controlling the narrative we talk about dc doing it all the time and uh this just might be them saying all right the focus is disney plus and the films will come. It will come, guys. But enjoy. Enjoy what we we're, we're have here, you know, whether it's animation, Disney Plus, live action, or video games. We've all got something to consume here. And uh, we got to get over to uh, King Kenobi, man. It's, it's coming out in here in a couple hours. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. So with all that, Star Wars now parked for just a minute and much more to come in the not-too-distant future. we got to wrap this one up, Carlos. So like to be a bigger part of this show in any capacity you can always email us at nerdum at gmail.com you can find everything we do over the nerdum.net the hunt is real though on a pause you can find it over on instagram what we are doing there once in a while at the nerd rm and youtube guys we're continuing to build that space out we had a live stream last week we had some awesome guests uh, on that so go check that out that'll kind of supplement this with some different opinions and a bit of a deeper dive into some of the the nuances and the canonical pieces of of star wars that uh, rick brings to the table he brings a lot of knowledge and he was able to kind of suss out a few things that that i missed there on the first viewing that would be i think of interest to everyone too so go over there and you can check the live stream and all the figure reviews and room tours and all that's all up there on star wars or on youtube uh, just search the new room podcast and then of course twitter you can find our handles at the end of the episode we're always talking about star wars marvel dc and beyond over there so guys a lot of stories behind us in this episode and a little top gun review just to put the cherry on top of this episode. So we appreciate you guys coming back here every single Thursday. But for this weekend, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. And I'm Batman. 
and thank you so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out the Nerd Room.net. And don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in.